Welcome to Required Listening. I'm your host, Scott Goldman, Executive Director of the Grammy Museum. Each week in the Clive Davis Theater, I have the opportunity to speak with artists from across the musical spectrum about their careers, their influences, their struggles, and their creative process. Now, I'm a truly lucky guy, as are the 200 guests that get to attend our public programs at the Grammy Museum. Now, with Required Listening, I'm thrilled to share these interviews with you. On today's episode, my conversation with the band I'm With Her. The band is comprised of three accomplished musicians, Sarah Watkins, Sarah Jarose, and Aoife O'Donovan. Each has made their mark as solo artists and as members of other bands. Sarah Jarose is a two-time Grammy Award-winning multi-instrumentalist and singer. Aoife O'Donovan is the founder of the string band Crooked Still and has collaborated with artists from Yo-Yo Ma to Chris Thiele to the Boston Pops. Sarah Watkins is the founder of the band Nickel Creek and has maintained an active solo career releasing three of her own albums. As fellow travelers on the acoustic and bluegrass music festival circuit, they've been around each other since they were young. In some ways, I'm With Her was bound to happen. They came together at an informal jam session during the 2014 Telluride Bluegrass Festival. Struck by the seamless and exciting sound of the music they made, they resolved to get together and work on writing songs. Two intense songwriting sessions led to recording at Peter Gabriel's Real World Studios in England with producer Ethan Johns. The resulting album, See You Around, was completed in January 2016, but because of each member's individual commitments, the album didn't come out until early 2018. But it was well worth the wait. We discussed their unique intention to subvert the individual in favor of the group. In fact, I still have trouble consistently identifying who's singing lead, and I will tell you, they love that. I think you'll get a sense of how committed they are to being a band. Their collaborative musicianship is flawless, as are the blend of their voices. We talked about the welcoming and collaborative nature of the musical community that they grew up in, and how that community helped them develop their own artistry in the process. We got together on a recent afternoon in the Clive Davis Theater exclusively for required listening. So let's listen to my conversation with I'm With Her. Thank you all for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, so first of all, I know you've you've completed an East Coast leg of this tour behind the album. So how's it going? It's going so well. Yeah. We're we're having a blast. It was kind of East Coast, Midwest, um, we, all the way down to Tennessee. Uh-huh. Did um, you hit any of those like ten thousand nor'easters that went through the Northeast? All that snow? And no, thankfully. Whatever. Yeah. Which was which was a blessing. But yeah. uh, no, it's it's been a blast, and um, we had a couple weeks off, and now we're here uh-huh. on the West Coast. Um, and just, it's nice. so fun to like finally play these songs for people. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I want to talk about that because, you know, there, there's an, th- th- this is an interesting construction, um, this band, uh, cause you all have, you know, kind of built out solo careers and you recorded this record two years ago. Uh, but before, before we get there, I want to talk about kind of how you met cause there's, um, it's almost as if this was bound to happen in in some way and there's this whole community you know whether it's the old settlers festival or rocky grass or telluride where you guys were kind of in each other's orbit for a period of time what is it about 
respectively, the music that you make individually that attracted you to each other. Can you can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, well, we, we all are lucky to be a part of a, a sort of large and rich musical community of multi generational, really uh, kind of growing up listening to music that we love and then getting to eventually make music with the people we grew up listening to. I think that's mm. sort of been a, a common theme for all of us. Uh, I met Sarah in 2001 at the Philadelphia Folk Festival, Sarah Watkins. Um, I had, you know, Nickel Creek had put out, I think only one record at that, that point. Uh, and it was before this side came out. And I remember watching her sing and just being, being pretty starstruck, honestly. You guys were headlining on the Friday night at the main stage and I was playing with a band called The Wayfaring Strangers. It was mm. really my first the first gig I ever did at a folk festival and we met, we met That's that weekend. so crazy to me. That was first, <laughs> first folk festival thing. And, uh, and I think we, yeah, the, you, you mentioned Old Settlers. That's yeah. where Watkins and Jaros met um, that, that same year, I think, in 2001. And uh, Jaros and I met then five years later at the Rocky Grass Festival. And it's just, I think, just speaks to the fact that our scene is so, so open and, and mm. you know, oftentimes people will be backstage who may not necessarily be headlining the festival or, or may be in a, in a newer band or may just be a guest of somebody else backstage and there are jams, there are people making music with each other and, and that's, it's still like that and it just feels really lucky that, I don't know, that we all met in, in such an informal context and then fast forward, you know, 15 years and we're here at the Grammy Museum. Yeah. Yeah, in hindsight, it does feel like it was just bound to happen at some point because mm. it has become quite a natural fit. We all just, you know, we live well together and we travel well together yeah. and we love to, you know, write and work together. And um, I think it part of sharing that uh, similar scenes and background is, you know, we have a similar way of communicating and, mm. and, um, and pretty... Uh, like like our standards, what we what we want a song to be like. I, one of the one of my favorite things about writing in this band is that is that um, everyone really wants to make sure that you know we we skip over some of the maybe the first or second choices that might seem obvious or satisfying in some way, but not necessarily how we all kind of want to get a song out. Uh, it's hard to describe, but um, it all makes for good working relationships. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and I want to go into the songwriting a little bit, but, but I want to step back just, just for a minute, maybe for, for those listening who aren't necessarily familiar with that collaborative culture mm. um, in, in the music scene that, that each of you grew up in, um, you know, particularly at festivals. There are things that go on amongst those playing at the festivals in terms of after hours jams and and people be invite being invited to play with other other artists. Talk about that a little bit in terms of your growth as a musician. Yeah, I mean it, it's funny because we were talking about how yes, there's so many things that it makes it seem like this band was destined to be a band for a long time, but at the same time you could look at it <laughs> in the other way where like I was 9 years old when I met Sarah Watkins, and if you'd have told me then that we were going to be in a band together someday, I would have told you that you were crazy, you know? <laughs> so, so like, it's, it's cool to, like, think, think that far back. And the context of that is exactly what you're saying. It was just a workshop at the Old Settlers Music Festival outside of Austin, Texas, um, which is where I'm from. Just, you know, there's, there's kind of these extracurricular things that happen at festivals where, in addition to be, being able to watch a band do a main stage set, you also might get to see them do a workshop earlier on in the day, which was what happened that day. I think you guys just kind of, it, it wasn't even necessarily a workshop. It was like a, 
a smaller performance on a smaller stage before your main stage show that night. And so because of that, it was in a tent. Mm. I was able to like go up to them afterwards and, and say hello and try to get a signature, which is, is so cool. It's like just the access to, um, musicians, um, especially as a younger musician, it's just something that you see happen a lot and it's encouraged and, um, it allows for the, the music and the tradition to kind of be passed along and shared. And, and, and that is an important part of that is, is passing along the tradition. There's a repertoire, you know, there, the, large though it may be, but there, there is a repertoire that is shared among, is, is, is that, is that a place where you guys met musically in that, in that sort of shared repertoire? Yeah, we, we were, well, when we, at Telluride and we were going to share the stage and do a workshop together with a couple of the great musicians, um, the three of us were able to get together and just work up harmonies on a few songs, and we mm. found a song or two that were that was common that we would you know could easily find a three part harmony stack on, and and um, and so there there that does ease the, the 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 speed of sort of collaboration and communication. But I I, I want to just say though that like the festivals and and that kind of overlaps with camps to me because mm. I I got to go to fiddle camp Mark O'Connor's fiddle camp when I was. I think 13 and 14. It was his first two camps in Nashville. And, um, and I met so many people who I still know hmm. who, there who are people who are really, really good friends. And I met them there at that camp. And I would see them at festivals. So that you, you see them, you get to spend this week, I got to spend this week with these terrific teachers and players of all ages and all ability ranges and styles. And then... The next summer, we'd go to you know a handful of festivals, and I'd see kids that I knew from this fiddle camp, and we could play tunes that we had learned at camp, or we could like find each other in the campground for those after-hours jams that you were talking about. And so it 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 just feels like it, it's very fluid and natural the progression from hanging out with your friends to uh, jamming in a parking lot to like being in a band and getting to play the kids stage. And then all of a sudden someone gives you a leg up and is like, Hey, why don't you play for 15 minutes on the main stage? And like that happened to me too. I, I feel like that's a, a really beautiful story that, that, um, that a lot of people can tell. And I'm so glad that it's, uh, you know, pretty common. And, tale. and and it really, you know, if, if you look at the, you know, kind of the modern music business, the modern music business is not necessarily set up to encourage career development in many respects. The, I, you know, the, I think you're totally right. But because it's bluegrass, there's not a much business involved. Like it's not something people are going into to be lucrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's but, a hobbyist's life. <laughs> yeah, but there is that, that interest and that willingness and that energy yeah. to, to bring people along. You know, people who want to participate to give them the chance to go to camp, to give them a chance yeah. to play on a kid's stage, to give them a chance to play on the main stage. It's it's a it's it's a very nice system, for lack of a better term. I, I think if you go back and look at the broader genre that that this is, it is folk music, and folk music mm -hmm. is music of the people. And mm -hmm. I think it, it's always been like that. That it's it's always been encouraging of the younger generation and, and as Sarah said, a hobbyist um, genre. I mean, it, it, that's not, that's not off base. I mean, a lot yeah. of people get into playing folk music as for fun on the side, mm -hmm. especially when I started playing bluegrass and old time music, it was in Boston at the Cantab lounge, this legendary dive bar in Cambridge. 
Um, and I remember most of the guys who were up there on Tuesday nights, this is before Oh Brother Art though came out. So really before, you know, a ton of people were playing bluegrass sort of on the bigger stages that, that everybody knew about. And all the guys up on stage at the Cantab were, you know, they worked at MIT and they worked at mm -hmm. Harvard or they were electricians or, or whatever. And they were playing bluegrass. They were, they were badasses and mm -hmm. they were just jamming every Tuesday night. And that yeah. was, I don't know. I think that there's, there's something to be said for that as well. Mm. You look out at the audience at a festival such as Rocky Grass, for instance, I bet you 85% of the audience have guitars and sing songs with their friends. Like 85, they're, they're relating to the bands on stage as... Um, people who speak the same language. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, when it, it, it's that commonality and that appreciation, the way that like, you know, someone who, uh, you know, might, might build a little, a little something in their garage, you know, or like tinkering with something, they mm -hmm. might appreciate, you know, the workmanship of all different levels um, in a unique way, an insider's way. And yeah. I think that that's something that you see a lot at folk festivals. When, when you guys got together at Telluride, I think this was 2014, and you got invited, I think it was Chris maybe, invited you guys to, to, to do some songs, and you were saying that, that you got together and found some songs that you could put together a harmony stack on. It's, you know, it just sounds so simple. Was it that simple? Kind of. I mean, not to not to sort of under I don't know make it seem less cool than it was, but but what what was really magical I think was not the putting together the harmony stack, mm. but was how naturally it felt to sing the songs and yeah. how naturally the blend felt to us. I think that 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 was sort of the wow moment. Mm. Not not like oh let's all try to you know find a part here because yeah. that, that's something that we're all used to doing. It was it was sort of the the magic of the sound of the three voices together to me. And it's and it seems like you know, but just just based on video that you know that I've watched, um, did you immediately gravitate to that one microphone and you're all singing around it? Was that was that something you went to, like? We don't do that all the time. Instinctively, yeah, I think that's something that is a um, a great way to get this music across. Mm. It's it's a good way to do that, and um, a lot of times it's it's easier for us to make sure that we're blending and mixing the way that we want to if we just do it ourselves on stage mm. um, around one microphone. Yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a simplicity to it, kind of, and also it's, it's really great to play with each other that well, like facing each other that close together. Mm. I find like, I think everyone's very common scenario that you're like, you're running songs backstage in the dressing room and you're facing each other and you're yeah. really close together. It sounds great. And then you get on stage and it's like not, it's kind of wobbly and you just don't have, don't have the pocket that you had because you're, you know, spread out in a straight mm -hmm. line and you can't quite hear as well as you did. And there's uh, a, a great pleasure to me of just singing around that one mic and getting to, to really um, focus on the sound and just kind of, uh, it, it, I am able to get into a different kind of focus zone that way. Well, you know, and it, it, it strikes me from watching, and this is just, you know, sort of an, an observation, that you're playing as much for each other as you are for people in the audience. Is that how it feels to you guys? Yeah, I, I, I would say so. And I think, I think it was important... Um, you know, we, we were really playing around the one mic mostly for the first couple of years that, mm. as this band. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I, I feel like it, as Sarah was saying, it's like sonically unifying um, to kind of, f as a young band, be able to be that close and, and figure out what our blend is, what our vibe is, how the different timbres of our voice voices go together mm. instead of like just right away going to a multi-mic setup. I yeah. think, and, I, and now I, I personally feel more comfortable on a multi-mic setup having had the time put in with the one mic. Yeah. Um, and I still think we all... It's nice to go back to the one mic too, because mm -hmm. it, it just it it's so it's so special and intimate and um, and close that way. But I, I think it's important to to our sound certainly. Yeah, if if you guys ever come back and do a performance here, that yeah, would be yeah, the way to do it. The, for the sure. one mic thing. <laughs> yeah, we've only had one artist do that here. Really? And really? Yeah, and it sounded. Um, it's very surprising. It was That's the only fantastic. one. Yeah, who was it? Was it? Uh, Tiff Merritt. Oh, great. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I want to talk about, you know, kind of shared influences just for a minute. And we talked about festivals and, and that kind of stuff. But, but I, I, I've read some things that, that you guys have discussed amongst yourselves, um, albums that you have you know, shared a love for over time. And I'm wondering if there's a couple maybe that you could tell me that stand out for you that you guys have all said, oh, wait a minute, I love that record. Um. Well, I feel like one th one thing we've talked about is like the Tim and Molly O'Brien, um, just in terms of like great harmony singing. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I feel like we, yeah, a way out on the mountain, um, just such great um, song selections yeah. and and harmony singing, and that's just a record I think that we all have put time in and um, and really loved. Mm -hmm. And then there's obviously the Vampire Weekend. <laughs> <laughs> record. I think that was the one I read. Okay, was, yeah, was Vampire Modern Weekend. Vampires of the City. Yeah. We we um I what's fun is that that when we went on our first like 3 week tour in Europe um in 2015, I had actually never heard that record before and I they Ifa and Sarah had um had put in time with it and and so it was fun, but I don't I feel like you guys hadn't heard it in a while and so it was no, like it was, it was new then. Oh, it that was, was that new. when it came out. Okay, yeah. but you had already put in it some came time, out about like yeah. eight months before that. Yeah, so yeah. but it was it was so we like blasted it in the car over the course of those three weeks, and it was just so fun because it was just <laughs> the three of us. It's it's uh, I feel like it's rare these days to revisit the same album in the course of a tour. Very often, like a lot of times when you're driving down down the road, everyone's you know sharing their their favorites or just taking turns DJing, and and a lot of times the temptation is to just like you know put in a different, you know, make a playlist of different songs and different artists each time. But it's really great to put in albums. Hmm. And I feel like, I, I mean, that's a unique experience in the last like 10 years for me to put in the same album probably 10 times in one, day, like. in <laughs> one road trip, you know, <laughs> and, and it was, it was really good. Is there, is there something on the playlist right now? Some album that's being played repeatedly? Well, this leg, this leg is just starting. So, oh, okay. <laughs> Sound of Music. <laughs> <laughs> I actually yeah. have really been listening a lot to the Sound of Music soundtrack, and it's really good. I just want to say, for the record, fair enough. Sometimes you just have to go dig way back deep into your subliminal early influences mm -hmm. and figure out what it is that makes you tick. Mm -hmm. And I think it's Christopher Plummer for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he does such a good job on that. There's one. There, there's one artist that I, that I have to ask you about because it, he's an all-time favorite of mine going back and I'm old going way back and that's John Hartford mm. I was just about to say Steam Powered Airplane is another mm. favorite of ours um, yeah um, and and I was lucky enough when I was a teenager I went to see him at a weird festival in Massachusetts and somehow got backstage and got to talk to him 
for a period of time. Can I ask what festival? Um, you know what? I, I don't even remember the name. I remember it was in the town of Fitchburg, Massachusetts, which is in central Massachusetts. It was in a high school football stadium. Wow. And it was Hartford, and I don't even remember who else was on the bill because I was just focused on him, and they were playing off the back of a flatbed truck. That's that's wow. really that's really all I remember. And there was very you know, back in those days, this mm-hmm. is nineteen seventy four. I was gonna say early seventies you tell that a lot. That yeah. thing yeah. Telluride and Merlefest both started on flatbed tracks. Yeah. yeah. And, and I just walked back there and he was leaning against a car or whatever. And this was after Aeroplane had come out and before he had released that Warner Brothers, the 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 last Warner Brothers record he did, and he was going on and on with me about how there's, there was four sides of material that he recorded and Warner Brothers would only release one record. Hmm. And he was off about that. Yeah. But the genius nonetheless. So what is it about John Hartford that you guys adore? For me, I, I got to spend a little bit of time with him as well. And um, for me, he was a gateway out of a lot of the things that I was really listening for when I was a kid. It was, it was, you know, you're a kid, you're listening to like speed and precision. I think that's, you know, mm. pretty typical for like high school aged mm-hmm. kids. And then something like Hartford broke all the rules and I didn't know why I loved him so much. And I couldn't, I couldn't put my, put my finger on it because he defied my, my typical checklist. Mm. But I feel like there's so much of his personality came out in his songwriting and in his performances in a way that you don't see a lot. You know, like you, I feel like other people who do that are, um, or were, uh, um, maybe like Harry Nilsson and Roger Miller, those kinds of, of characters who let that silliness come out in the songs. Um, Johnny Fritz is a guy who's opening for us tonight. Hmm. I think he also lets his personality come out in his songs in a similar way, but, um, it's, uh, and he was also really kind to me and, and, um, but I think the personality, like, like see, see, seeing, feeling, getting an impression of who he is through his music was something that I hadn't experienced in that way. And that was the first thing I think that drew me in. And then from there, it just goes so deep that, you know, you could, I mean, he really, he, he, he had a vision, I mm-hmm. think of where, where he believed his music should go and he was going to follow that regardless mm-hmm. um which i always which i thought there's was a confidence in that him. of just yeah. writing you know being himself truly through and through and in all the wacky weird things i mean the le- the legend is that he wrote the um the washing machine song the same day as he wrote gentle on my mind <laughs> um and i just i love that yeah yeah, it feels it feels like his his music is like an extension of himself mm-hmm. more than like a performance. Mm-hmm. Um, also, mm-hmm. one one fun fact is that I the first time I met Sarah was also the first time that I saw John Hartford mm-hmm. live at at Old Cellars, and that was his. You guys played Nickel Creek played with him, and that was wound up being his last his last performance pr- public performance, mm-hmm. um, which I just feel so thankful to yeah. have seen that, and yeah. it just felt like a very that's also the first day I met Tim O'Brien and Daryl Scott. Like it just wow. felt like a fortuitous day. Wow. So there's there's a track on the record, uh, Waitsfield, mm. I think. That's your you've said is your homage to, to Hartford. No I wonder, mean, I don't no think wonder. it I don't think it it is Have we said that? I, 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 <laughs> I think I might have said I read that somewhere. I'm not sure an homage, but like I, I definitely 
think of him a little bit in, in the silliness yeah. of that tune. But yeah. it wasn't it wasn't written as like a tribute to him. Um, I just feel like there's a little bit of... But you guys do sort of bust out at the end of that. Yeah. Yeah, the performance, I think, when we recorded that song, I remember just everybody kind of holding their breath, just trying to get to the end of that, (laughs) messing it up. And and when we did, that's why there's this this sort of... Everybody's holding their breath and then we laugh. And it's just, I, I think we left it on the on the record because... It, it just yeah, it, that is really what happened, I mean, and it's such a I genuine feel like it actually moment. adds to to the musical experience of listening yeah. to that track. I think it does. I mean, it, it, there's an energy, you know, you sort of pick up the energy at the end. You know, you kind of exactly. realize what you guys were, you know, were going through as you were recording. It was cool, <laughs> and that song has been so fun to play live every night. That's sort really. of a moment that that I look forward to in the set every night. Just yeah. just as a, it really does feel like a release. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's great. When um, we when we made it, we were I think a little bit slap happy at the time, and. I feel like it was pretty late in the process of of making the record. And um, I also think it was late at night or after dinner or maybe just before dinner or something. And um, I think by that point we were, we were, I was just trying to remember the arrangement. (laughs) I don't know why, but there was something about it that just like, I could not, I I just kept like getting like distracted or lost or something. And so I was particularly delighted to just make it through that song. (laughs) And I think what you hear on the album is the first time we actually did finish it. It's like the third, third, third attempt. First succeed. (laughs) Success. I want to talk about songwriting for, for a minute. Um, um, and I, and I'm wondering, you know, particularly for, for, for this record, were these songs that each of you individually were kind of bringing to the group or was it, a, 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 a shared songwriting experience. How how did the songwriting work? Well, um, it kind of happened in two chunks um, of writing sessions. One here in LA mm. uh, in the, the summer, July of 2015, and then another eight day um, writing session in Vermont um, at a farmhouse in rural Vermont in December of 2015. Um, And something that we've kind of talked about that I think was so important to the writing process was the fact that we were living together for both of those stints. Uh, We were in the same, well, I guess when we were in Los Angeles, we were, Aoife and I were in an Airbnb, Sarah lives here, but we were basically all at the Airbnb the entire time and, you know, making lunch together and kind of living our days together, which I think was so important to uh, the stories of these songs feeling shared, even if you know, there definitely were moments when, you know, someone would bring in uh, a verse and a chorus or a start of an idea to a song. But because we're we're living together for, for these two writing stints, just the nature of talking through the stories and kind of having to explain yourself a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think that was something that was so enlightening about this writing process for me is that I, I feel like I've written by myself so much that, you know, when, when you write a song by yourself, an idea that makes sense to you or a line that makes total sense to you might not actually make sense to someone else. And just by having these um, conversations of, oh, but what is that line? What are you trying to say? And then that turns into a conversation and then the conversation turns back into the song. I think that that whole process of being together for several days in a row um, allowed these stories to feel like uh, for all of us to have yeah. owner, ownership over them and, and feel like a shared thing. How, did, did you guys both, you know, sort of all jump in on that sort of feedback loop? Was that? How? Yeah. Yeah, that definitely. What do you, what do you mean? Like with, uh, yeah, with well, just, just in terms of bringing ideas and then, and then, you know, kind of 
not not challenging, but but refining. Yes, but that and in addition to that process of everybody bringing ideas and refining, there were, were also a, I mean, a couple of instances where we really did just start songs from scratch mm. in the same room as each other. Where yeah. I mean, of course, yes, an idea can't spontaneously spring out of three people's brains at once. Somebody would start with a groove, and then we would sort of you know. I remember writing "Game to Lose" was one that that came up came out like that. I, I think the the verses for that song. I remember sitting in the room in Vermont and just sort of. I don't even remember who started playing a groove, and then we were just kind of like, like, and then we kind of went went from there, and it really just naturally like, just the ideas kept on snowballing, hmm. and then they were refined after that. So, so for processes such as that one, or, or also I nine, yeah, um, where the the idea would get started with the three of us, and then kind of back up, and it would, you'd kind of go back to the place of like, okay, even though we all brought this idea, we can still all challenge it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's how I remember it. Um. Do you still look at an album as a body of work? Definitely. Because, you know, that's, that too has been challenged in the modern sort of music Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about it, though, and, like, uh, I, I think we do all think of an album as, mm-hmm. as its own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like, it's not the first time that people have been listening to one song at a time, right? Like, that's kind of how things started. True. One, people put out an A-side and a B-side, you know, mm-hmm. and it was singles was how it started. Mm-hmm. Um, why there's a record of the year and it's a song. Um, so it kind of is just going back to how it started, where people yeah. were listening to one song at a time from a band. Um, but I think that you will always find that a good amount of 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 recording artists will want to see that full picture as mm-hmm. as a standalone piece or as 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 like a a, a thought, you know. Is for 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 you is there is there a thematic thread? Is there something that ties the songs together? Travel has been a theme that people have sort of latched onto hmm. when when we've talked to people about the record. I don't think we went into it saying let's write an an, an album um, with this theme in mind, but but listening back, I do f- get a sense of the the narrator or wh- whoever the protagonist or whoever is singing these songs is is a traveler, and yeah. we are all travelers. Yeah, I feel like there's a one of the things that comes out of 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 living in this like shared space for those two writing stints is that the songs did come from a time and place. And so I think that their common threads are, you know, what we were all bringing to the table as, you know, our concerns or our stories or what we'd been thinking through. Um, That for those like that week that we were together that's what is on the album. So it makes sense that there is a common thread, though I don't know what it would be. I feel like it's just what life was that week. Yeah. You, um, you went away to, to record this record. <laughs> um, far away, in fact, to, you know, to the UK. Um, um, was that isolation helpful? I mean, you're, you're, I'm, you're, you know, long way from home, long way, you know, potentially from, from friends and family, though you may have friends over there. Um, 
Is it, did, did that help in getting this done? I, I think so. Yeah, I think it was, it was pretty necessary because of all of our crazy schedules. I mean, the, the fact that we were able to squeeze in making the record in three weeks at a crazy time, we were all about to release our own solo records. Um, Aoife released her record um, in the Magic Hour the day that we flew away from the studio. <laughs> um, you were mixing your I, record. Yeah, I was still mixing my record, Undercurrent. Which won two Grammys. <laughs> and Watkins was like it, it, in the process of release. We, ours yeah. came out a month apart from each mm-hmm. other. So it was wild. And I think because all of that was sort of, you know, building, we were kind of getting in the headspace of going on tour and doing these record release things. I think it was really important to just get away from any of our individual domains mm. and just be removed and be really focused for an intense focus for three weeks. I mean, we really did. We ate every meal together <laughs> with Ethan. It was intense. It was really intense. I hear you got tired of the soup. Yeah. <laughs> you true? would really think that we would have gotten tired of each other, but <laughs> like, <laughs> miraculously, we would end up in this, this little common room that had like three couches and we would all sit on like one <laughs> half of one couch, literally. <laughs> During our free time. <laughs> and, and I think people, other people who were there like, must have thought we were actually insane because we would be together <laughs> all day. And then like afterwards, Sarah Watkins would make a fire in the fireplace because that's just how boss she is. And we would sit on half of a couch and just like be silly. It's just, it's quite incredible. You guys work with Ethan Johns. Yeah. Why him? What, 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 why choose him as the producer? Well, we were talking, you're talking about um, common music that, mm-hmm. that, that, and I think uh, on that, I, I feel like it's his name came up when we were first on that tour in the UK, that three week tour that we were driving around. Maybe we were driving around somewhere else, but we were talking about like, if we made an album, who would we make it with? Who would we, you know, and his name came up as someone who, um, whose work we'd all, you know, really enjoyed. And I'd worked with him years before. uh, And so we eventually, you know, we, we kept talking about it and and thinking about it and, and finally reached out and, and, um, and he was interested. Jeroz and Aoife didn't actually meet him until we got to the studio. We FaceTimed him from Vermont three weeks before we started the record. But like that was that was it. So it was I think that added to the intensity of it because you know you're flying all the way to to London and then driving to Box, which is outside of Bath, Bath. And and you're there living and eating and recording there for three weeks, and it's just kind of an intense commitment when you haven't met someone. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, we arrived and, uh, and then, you know, saw the most intimate recording setup. I think, you know, we, we worked in before and, um, and just kind of started, started it off. And, uh, I, I feel like the, because of the intensely intimate way that we recorded with no headphones, no separation at all, we were, um, as close as we are when we stand together backstage rehearsing. Um, and he and the, uh, Ethan and the, the engineer, Dominic Monks, were um, right like 10 feet away in the same room, no, no separation at all. So they were just listening to us perform in front of the mics without, head, without uh, the monitors or anything on. Maybe I think the engineer had headphones, but like um, it was 
it was just, everyone was just very focused on the performance and listening to each other and the moment. And Ethan has a reputation for being like a first take producer. And we definitely experienced that and definitely pushed for sometimes like a third, second and third performance. <laughs> uh, because these songs we'd written three weeks before, we didn't have any experience performing them. So I think uh, um, we fought for that a little bit early on and then and then hit our stride. And I, I feel like it's they got great sounds. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the, the record sounds terrific. But, you know, that, that producer-artist relationship is oftentimes key to the sound of a record to, you know, maybe the way the songs are constructed, what, you know, whatever it might be, um, you know, the producer can shape songs or sonics, sometimes be the psychologist and right. sort of hold the mirror up and totally. say... Totally. Band therapy. Yeah. yeah. You know, this, this is what you're doing. How did he work with you? What was, what was so good about working with him? Well, I mean, I... I think it kind of was the the pushing us to kind of expose the the rawness of of what we have and I think I mean maybe the main reason that I was so interested in wanting to work with him was his ability to capture dynamics mm. on a recording which I just feel is something that I don't hear much anymore mm. on records it's like a wall of sound and and many records to me these days just sound very horizontal um yeah. and I, that's something that I've loved about. So when you when you say dynamics, you mean like you know loud, soft, yes, you know, yes, the, getting like really yeah, soft yeah. and then exploding. You know, mm-hmm. um, I just think, and you know, and a lot of that has to do with Dominic Monks as well. But but I think it's a combination of kind of like you said, the psychology of it, kind of forcing it to be this very intimate, intense thing where there's no isolation, as Sarah was saying, and you know that that was his his doing, you know, I think had we not walked into the room and it was set up like that, like who knows what it would have been like. So I think that, that was, um, that's kind of his strength is creating that, that environment where it, everything is just really bare and honest. Cause, cause I did read something that when you first walked into the studio, there was a fair amount of trepidation about the way it was set up. Yeah, I think I, I had never been in a recording studio without the luxury of my own zone, uh, uh-huh. you know, my own headphone mix and my own, you know, just space to like, it's okay if I mess up once because I can always just go ahead and fix that if it's an otherwise perfect take. Mm-hmm. And um, I think because we had written the music so close to the recording session, we had, had come out of the Vermont writing session, I think on December 12th or 13th or it was very very close to when we went to the UK January 2nd so um it's not like we'd been playing these songs for a year Mm. and we knew them very well so it it was a little bit scary but that being said what we got out of that recording session I think is an album that that I mean we were talking earlier about John Hartford as an extension of himself and the music that he makes and I feel like we were almost not forced into doing that but it, it definitely helped us and encouraged us to be more ourselves and I think that when you listen to the album that's that's what I think what you hear is mm. the three of us and and our band. I'm with her, and not just sort of like another thing with all all the bells and whistles. Mm. And and you know one of the things that that um, struck me, um, particularly listening you know listening to the songs and then and then subsequently reading a little bit, um, I was never I, and to, I don't think to this day I'm exactly sure who's singing what. <laughs> and 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 I think that that's quite intentional on, on your part, that, that you, um, and don't take this the wrong way, that, that you subverted the individual for the group. 
Am I right in that? I think so, I yeah. Think so, yeah. yeah. I, would, I would take that as a compliment, honestly. Definitely. Mm-hmm. That's, 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 we're a band. We're, we're not mm-hmm. doing this project calling it, you know, Sarah Watkins, Sarah Droz, and Aoife mm-hmm. O'Donovan. I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we're a band. We think of ourselves as a band. We don't, I don't, I'm not waiting for my turn to get up and sing my song or mm-hmm. going to pat myself on the back for, you know, anything that I'm doing on stage. I, I, I feel like we're all thinking of it as a trio, our project. Right. Be- because, as, you know, as I listen to the songs, it, it's, it, I, I do not feel that I'm listening, who's ever singing lead, that I'm listening to that person's story. That's yeah. not kind of where it, it resonates for me. Um, I think that's right on with our experience, too. Yeah. The, the, I love that that's your yeah. take yeah, on yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, great. seriously, I couldn't, I, I, you know, could be me. I don't know. Um, um, the, you know, the, the, the other thing, and, and we touched on this when we started, is these songs were recorded in 2016. And then you guys go off and have, you know, you all released records and you're doing other things. And here you are now. It's, it's 2018. And now you're touring. And, and I'm wondering, as you got back together, have the songs changed? Have they evolved in some way? Um, I don't, n- not much. I mean, I think that they, they might begin to as we, as we um, kind of go further into this year of actually mm. being on the road um, playing them. But it, I really feel like in order for, because we knew the reality of our schedules, we knew that in order to make this work as a band, because we were all committed, we did have to kind of put it to the side mm. for a hot second, which wound up being two years. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think because we realized at, you know, when we, when we flew away from England, we, were, we kind of all agreed to say, okay, we're going to kind of just going to pretend that that doesn't exist. I think <laughs> for the sake of freshness, for the sake of it being realizing the, you know, what the schedule is going to be like. So I think we all did a really good job of doing that. Um, and it's been fun this year, kind of, I guess we started in January with a couple of shows, but you know, the last tour that we went on in, um, end of February into March was really the first time we were playing many of these songs. Um, well, some of them the very first time, um, in front of audiences. And so I think they are at this point still pretty close to, how the rec- how they sound on the record, but I think it'll be that's one of the fun things about performing live is that it it is fun when songs kind of do start to take on a new life for the stage as opposed to in the studio. Is is that something that that you've experienced in your in your in your solo careers that that songs that you have come to play and know, you know, kind of intimately over the years do take on sort of a different. Oh, totally. Yeah. I, sometimes I, I, after being on tour for a year playing the songs from my record in the Magic Hour, I will somebody like I'll, it'll be on. Somebody will put the record on, and I'll be like, "What song is this?" Like, <laughs> I don't do it the same way at all. Like, I don't know if you guys have had that experience, but yeah, you forget kind of the original version yeah. of it. Yeah, I, I have. Um, the arrangements haven't changed yet that much, but mm. even you know, we played. We were in Atlanta. A friend was in the audience who had just had a baby and. Um, we got to say hi before the show and I, uh, I was, there were a couple of songs that I was singing with sort of his current life status in mind. And, um, and some of the lyrics took on new meaning Hmm. because of that, um, which I really like. Mm -hmm. Um, you closed the record with a Gillian Welch tune, hundred miles, um, of the, of the many songs you could have chosen to cover, why that one? We we actually do cover a lot of songs. Mm-hmm. For the before we made this record, before we started writing it, we would 
we had like two hours of cover songs. Uh, we were a cover band. And then we would also do a few songs from our own material. But I think the reason we chose that to record was, well, one of the reasons is, you know, we are all huge admirers of her songwriting, as is the world. And, um, and it was, it was kind of cool to have, have learned this one that she hadn't recorded. Um, I came across, you know, a handful of songs that she hadn't recorded. Um, and that one was, was really, uh, just stood out. And so we, we played it live a little bit on the, uh, before, you know, on tours, but the version that you hear on the album was, um, is totally different than how we were performing it. We, hmm. Uh, we tried to record it the way we had been playing it. We thought it would be an easy one because we actually knew it. And it just didn't fit the album. So we came back to it at the end of the process. And I think it was the last song that we recorded. And we tried to play it. It just wasn't working. And I think Aoife was like, can we just do it a cappella? Like, just see how it goes. And Ethan was went over and played some pump organ. And we um, we might have just barely mapped it out, like, you start it, you come in, I think I'll come in on the chorus and, you know, we'll, and, uh, and we played it down and that's, that's the version that you hear on the album. Mm. And it's, um, I think we just needed having, having gone through that intense three weeks recording process. Um, that was just the way that it seemed to fit the rest of the songs. And it seemed to be seemed to suit us, like kind of the new us that had gone through this recording process and, and, tightened up as a band, you know, I think in terms of our vision for the band and also our playing, it, it seemed to fit us better when we came through that. I mean, it really strikes me listening to the three of you talk about the process from beginning to write to going to England to record the record to now, that there's been a real evolution amongst the three of you as a band, that you've kind of come to understand kind of who you are as a band. Am, am, am I right in that? I think it's, yeah, and I think it's, you know, constantly evolving as we, mm. uh, we embark on this tour, which we, we just had a planning meeting and there's there's lots more to come. And we're also excited about, I don't know, taking these these songs to as many places as we can possibly go mm. with them and then you seeing what's next after that. You know, yeah. I think we'll all continue to make albums under our own name and continue to collaborate um, in the ways that we always have. And this is just, it's just such a blast being in this band, yeah. I think, for all three of us. Well, all I can tell you is it's a blast having you here <laughs> at the Grammy Museum in r r podcast required listening. I'm with her, Sarah, Aoife, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you so thank much. You. You I personally love discussing John Hartford with the band. Their reverence for his work, his fearless and eclectic approach really helped me understand I'm With Her on a musical level. Check out Hartford's groundbreaking 1971 release, Aeroplane. Long before Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, John Hartford recorded an album with bluegrass greats, Norman Blake on guitar, Tut Taylor on dobro, Vassar Clements on fiddle, Randy Scruggs on bass, and Hartford playing guitar and banjo. The music is joyous, irreverent, and top-notch musicianship is everywhere. Check out tracks like Turn Your Radio On, or up on the hill where they do the boogie, and you'll instantly get Hartford's unique musical sensibility. Then go back to I'm With Her and listen to the energy and musicianship on the track Waitsfield. I'm With Her's new album is called See You Around. 
And that's your required listening for today. Let me know what you think of John Hartford and I'm with her. We're on all the socials at Grammy Museum. If you're planning a visit to Los Angeles, I hope you'll come see us. All the info is at our website, grammymuseum.org. As always, my thanks to the team that makes required listening happen. Jason James, Justin Joseph, Jim Canella, Lynn Sheridan, Miranda Moore, Callie Weissman, Len Brown, Mike Werbacher, Jason Hoke, Chandler Mays, Nick Stumpf, and the entire team at How Stuff Works. For required listening, I'm Scott Goldman. We'll see you next time.